2: Tacos can on picking a naiva, Macaquil. I can't hanker tacon, a money picked it. Macaquil, hoky love
3: Greetings and good day, and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. The whole world is a beautiful day. It's good for all of us to be here. Let the people hear your voice, respectively, celebrate life, and this is First Voices Radio, and I send you greetings and strength. From the east gate of Turtle Island, where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. And I'm your host, and Ghost Horse. This is an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio. Now in its 29th year of broadcasting, and Liz Hill is First Voices Radio, Radio's producer. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple, iPod. Apple Podcast, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices, Indigenous Radio, Indigenous radio.org. And you can hear us internationally on you know, Savizar Contemporary in Berlin and Potsdam, Germany. Our first guests here, Adele Varana and Anasuya Zengupta, who are co-directors and co-founders of Whose Knowledge. And uh, I wanted to pick up a part two of a, a, a interview we did with them in late November. Right before the so-called Thanksgiving that you celebrate here in, in this country, nation called America, but we are talking about a roots process of what it means to be Native, Black, and Brown and Red, if you can throw that color in there. About whose knowledge, and as we know, you know, we we welcomed. Um, <clears throat> in other words, we just because we said we welcomed you all here did not mean that we you are welcome to possess the land, you see, to own it. And that's the whole idea about why these these conferences, these conversations that I'm having with peoples from other countries who are people, indigenous peoples, who are non-indigenous peoples, but who evidently have a different way of seeing and growing and knowing uh, whose knowledge does this belong to and whose language am I speaking here? Right? As a Lakota, I'm speaking indigenous, indigenous language, but when I have to speak a foreign language called English, what does that do to your mentality? Does that throw you off? Does, does it say, well, that was, and this is now get, get on with the program, move forward with it. So these ideas are often presented to a lot of native people that some are afraid to talk about because we're, we're afraid that we're going to bite the hand at visas, so to speak. And so we're still in servitude to that. Um, process of being dependent on something or the system that really looks for dependency from individuals. And so we don't get to think for ourselves anymore. We're just basically following the line. You're queuing up because that's what we know how to do in America. And so this way of being is maybe getting rare to, to see that, you know, it's more than just self-criticism or criticism of, of others. It's It's rather getting to know who you are, who we are, as a person, you know, personal sovereignty, who we are rather than what we do, we're not so much into doing as we, we are in being, because without being, you, you, you really don't know what you're doing, in a sense, if you can follow that philosophy. And so about whose knowledge is is just basically a global campaign to center the knowledge of marginalized communities. The majority of the world of the world on the internet, like three quarters of the online population of the world today comes from the global south. Three quarters of the online population of the world today comes from the global south, from Asia, from Africa, from Latin America, nearly half of all all women are online. Uh, Yet, let me say that again clearly in English, and, and nearly half of all women are online yet most public knowledge online has been so far written by white men from Europe and North America. To address this, we they work with uh, WhoseKnowledge.org works with particular, in particular, women, people of color, LGBTQI communities, indigenous peoples and others from the global south to build and represent more of all of our own knowledge online. And so this is a, a reimagining if you will, a redesign of the internet so that together they are building and, and want to bring the awareness of how to build and defend an internet of, for, and by all the, the people who I mentioned above from the global south as well, as well as the north because that that knowledge is being dictated by white men from Europe and North America. Um, so the, the website to look up who is whose knowledge, W-H-O-S-E, knowledge.org and to follow this, this conversation part two from late November, but this is one that is yesterday, last night we uh, I edited it so that we have the time to to play a full conversation. And you'll see we'll talk about the, the COVID experiences of these who are in London and one is in Southern California. So Adele Varana has led business development and partnerships initiatives. Help build in more plural and diverse communities in her native country of Brazil and globally and is former director of strategic partnerships at the Wikimedia Foundation and 2015 Erasmus Prize Laureate. And on her behalf of the work to expand expand access to Wikipedia in the global south. And uh, we uh, again, we are we are when not reimagining what the Internet of the Future would look like and advocating for that online. Adele spends most of her time raising her two boys and reading uh, black feminists from the global south and spending time with her friends from close to afar. and afar. Another guest is Anasunya Gupta, who has led initiatives in India and the U.S. across the global south and internationally for more than 20 years to amplify marginalized voices in, virtue, in virtual and physical worlds. And She is a former chief grant-making officer of the Wikimedia Wikimedia Foundation and former regional program director of the Global Fund for Women and the 2017 Shuttleworth Foundation Fellow and received a 2018 Internet and Society Award from the Oxford Internet Institute and is on the Scholars Council for UCLA's Center for Critical Internet Inquiry. She holds a Master's of Philosophy and Development Studies from the University of Oxford she studied as a Rhodes Scholar, and she also has a BA in economics and uh, honors from Delhi University. And so, when she's not rabble rousing, Anasuya makes and breaks pots and poems and uh, takes long walks by the water and, you know, those human things that we all do. So, without any further delay here, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to go with Anasuya and Adele. Again, these two or with whose knowledge.org and uh, bring them to you. Good. Great. Wow, geez, how you been?
0: Delhi should go first. Yeah. I, I I don't have words at this okay. point. <laughs>
4: yes. So you know to cousin that I'm here in the Bay Area, right? Um in California and things here have been Really, um, yeah, really hard uh, with the COVID numbers going up. And so we are we are not in lockdown as Anasuya is. Um, they're back in London, but we are almost there, right? Like, we're pretty close to it. And we have been um, mostly home, really behaving like it's just going to buy food. But otherwise, we have been home with our kids um Uh, for the yeah this last month trying to be as careful as possible um, to protect ourselves and protect others as well but yeah it has been really really real Um, and also right the worry with um, my families in Brazil um, and things in Brazil were really bad as well and they have no even idea of when uh, the vaccine could could get there right Mm -hmm. so I don't Mm -hmm. I feel, yeah, the vulnerability um, of that, Um, so yeah. But otherwise we are, I am right, like keeping in good health and and trying to protect myself and and conserve the energy to be holding myself and holding um, uh, my communities and the people I love around me.
3: Mm -hmm. It's very important, yeah. Yeah. I you're in London?
0: I'm in London and Ooh, yeah. things are not good over here and it's been hard to your cousin. I think it's been hard to, we are in lockdown um, because of the shambolic mess that is this government. To be honest, I have been pretty much in lockdown since March and um, almost without stop. Uh, we had a, you know, a a few weeks in the summer, but beyond that, we have been in pretty much continuous lockdown. And and for me, I think part of what has been really hard is to is to watch people not care um, mm. for for the for the people they're affecting. Right? One of the really interesting, intense, and brutal gifts of the coronavirus is that even if you don't realize it, your your actions or lack of actions have such deep, you know, uh, geometric progression on others, right? Like it's, it's not even arithmetic progression. It's not even your, your actions or inactions affect one other person. It, you know, it affects multiple other persons. And I spent, you know, New Year's Day really just thinking about doctors and nurses and health workers who are trying to save people's lives in order to bring them into 2021 and and recognizing that there has been so little um, appreciation for all of these people in our critical infrastructures of care, from the sanitation worker to the nurse um, to the grocery assistant, you know, who are keeping our relatively privileged lives going. Um, and so I'm just sitting with gratitude for being relatively privileged, um, to be honest. And like Adeli, I think because we straddle multiple continents and many spaces that we call home, it makes it that much more intense because, you know, Adeli or I can't be on a flight to see our, our family um, if something were to go wrong. So, you know, there's a lot of... Um, Holding of those at a distance with love and, and energy and uh, hope that they stay healthy, and um, I think also just a sense of real genuine hope that the brutal gifts of this virus, which I think you know, our last conversation was about centering the earth, the the brutal the. The brutal gift of this virus is to remind us that this is what happens. This devastation is what happens when we decenter the earth, when we forget the earth. And so, I'm just trying to hold that as the as the wisdom for this year.
3: You know, what, I mean, um, what other <clears throat> ideas that uh, we can come up with more or less not f- just from the mind, but more naturally? What is our, I would say, spiritual immunity to withstanding? This maybe it's uh, human-made, but I begin to feel, after all, it's it's really bringing us into an awareness, as you talk about Anasuya, that we we because we've forgotten Earth, these things are happening. So, are we in rhythm? Are we in rhythm, uh, even with our language, with our music, um, it, because it's so about anthropocentricism, right? Yes. And so we're even taking that and we're, we're using it in a way that we're dominating music, we're dominating religion. I mean, all these domination ideas, you know, we're, we're totally not in relationship with the rhythm. And so, yes, it's, it's quite natural for us to, to feel. My, my family also had COVID back on a reservation and that's like, um, I'd say, uh, 1700 miles away from here. So I have to go, but there, we can't go anywhere really. So to stay here and in the mountains here where people are very conscious of, of what's going on. So they're, they're trying as much as they can, but then now you have a new introduction of a different type of virus, yeah? So it's still lockdown, but we do we have, I'm saying, we, do we have the language to not use such prison terminology. You know what? Maybe that's part of um, getting into the rhythm is by by not using the language that keeps us out of rhythm. You see? C- can you go with that idea? Because I know we can talk about what we did last time. Was you know how the capital is built upon indigenous lands and all that. But but also, uh, there, my uncle comes up with something and says. You, you can't take it with you because people are thinking you can't take it with you. So why take it now? Yeah. You see? So in that whole idea of, um, I mean, both of you have, have gone through where we're all experiencing this, but is it those people that you say Adele, I mean, uh you that 60, 60% of the world is connected somehow, but are they getting the same news we are? And I'm wondering, if they don't get the news how are they behaving when someone gets sick in their village or you know out remote parts how do they react i mean just just some ideas yeah
0: do you want me to go or adeli do you have a thought um i can start and see where adeli takes it and and those are both such big and important ideas uh, to your and I'm sort of holding them. One is just the language we use and how does the language itself make a prisoner of our bodies and emotions, right? Um, And then the second is what happens to connection when we construct these prisons ourselves? And of course, some of these prisons are, you know, not of our own doing, but uh, there's, there's something about this notion of, of dismantling the lockdown and making the connection more real uh, or more embodied. And it's really interesting as you bring that up, because one of the things that Delhi and I and our team have been talking about is new language for how we just practice our everyday and one of the things we did last year, which was so interesting for us to watch ourselves, you know, as as a sort of anthropological exercise, if you will, but also just as, as deep and embodied and whole human beings, was we started using the language of being slow and spacious. Mm-hmm. And we said in our auto responses um, to our email that we would not, be responding immediately, right? We may not be responding immediately. We may take a little time. And we said the reason is we are living at the intersections of multiple forms of pandemic. And as we try and do this, we want to nurture self and collective care for ourselves and each other. And so we want to be slow and spacious. and one of the things that that practice did was it was really interesting how many people reached out and said thank you for this being your auto response because it reminded me to take a breath and then even more interestingly it was our own team that would say you know just having that message every day when I wake up and I start my day's work and seeing the words slow and spacious you know at the top of my screen made me take a breath and for a year that, you know, has so many deep and painful meanings around the phrase, I can't breathe, Mm. the notion of letting breath through our bodies and our minds and our ways of being, I think became a really important practice for us. And so you are right. I think there's something really interesting about rejecting words and saying rejecting words that also take our breath away if 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 you and you know if as you're saying they do and and I think they do. And at the same time recognizing that, what the material reality of the situation asks us to do is create space through connection, but connection in ways that we may not, um, we may not have had the, the wisdom to do before, right? Like this is where in some ways technology becomes an architecture of connection that is is so deeply important. We wouldn't be talking without it. Uh, we wouldn't be on the phone to our mothers every day, whether they're in Brazil or in India, without it. Um, I wouldn't be playing, you know, scrabble with a friend halfway around the world as one way to remind ourselves that as the the situation in the world is making us feel claustrophobic. I think that's the question I'm sitting with.
4: Yeah, and uh, I'm, for me, I'm, I'm sitting and reflecting with, with what you offer us, your cousin, and I think the, what brought me to think about language and rejecting um, the language that imprisoned us, and also the, the rhythm, right, instead of domination to be in rhythm with earth. Um, and it's actually at the, the core of the process of unlearning for us. In decolonization right so when when i'm thinking at the work that we do as whose knowledge and we bring the word decolonization or um uh, or unlearning right like that is that is thinking through what are the things that we sometimes reproduce unconsciously, and we are then reproducing what we have then learned and ingrained by the systems of power and privilege. So when you now pause and say, yeah, that's a word that does reproduces that, right, Um, is something that of this three years of whose knowledge i have caught myself over and over and over doing and unlearning right how can can then we take breath and pause and slow down and be spacious and reflect on what are the what is the language that we are using um, and how that right like keeps that reproduction um, reproduction going and going um and and oppressing ourselves, right? Because if we're using that and being out of breath and um and just perpetuating what we're trying to dismantle, uh, right? We're not doing we're not doing what we are supposed to be doing as part of this work. So I really see that as as core. And again, remember that during our first conversation, you mentioned, yeah, we're so we are we are together and we are knowing and seeing the things. Um, uh, as one, and I feel again that um, that we are right there. Um, and the, the other thing that you brought up is the knowing, right? And technology um, as a way of then bringing information um, to, right, like villages or, or the people that... Um, are connected or partially connected. Um, And and another thing that I want to bring up is that there is that part of connection and the knowing, but also when we are thinking about technology and what is it that we are having access to, right? What is it that we are reading? Uh, What is it that we are consuming as knowledge or information? Do we also know and have the awareness that Uh, we as marginalized communities and people may be reading the content that is being created by white male, cis, able um, men based here in Silicon Valley. right, And that the very experience that technology creates do not look and do not seek to center us. So when we experience, and, and I'm seeing more and more people that look like me or come from with the same background and, and others, right? Like indigenous communities that are using the platforms are getting more and more aware that those platforms do not serve the liberation that they are seeking. And they are trying to use that, those tools to then awaken the whole community and say, look, we, we know that these algorithms and the way these platforms have been built they're not really like seeking to center us and to liberate us, but we can try to make use of that, to educate ourselves, to unite ourselves and to strengthen our communities. And I think that is, that's another knowing that we need to wake up to, right? Mm -hmm. It's not only to have access and to have the phone in our hands, but also what is it that we are consuming? What is it that we are using that um, technology for? So I just want to emerge that uh, as well um, in our conversation.
3: Very interesting because it, it reminds me of something that was written almost 72 years ago. <laughs> this is way before all of our time, but it was called the Orwellian 1984, right? So this Orwellian dystopia that we're living now, people aren't even aware of that because they weren't born, maybe they didn't read the book. They're kind of just accepting it as is the way it is but those of us who, who know even more so is that this, as you said, this language that makes us a prison of our emotions, honestly, uh, you talk about, is this the fact that what you are doing with knowing um, with your group is that we are actually reconsidering consciousness, right? Reconsidering consciousness in a way that um, if I was to say, well, <clears throat> there is this so-called myth of scarcity but it also needs, my other part of, of my heart would say, myth of scarcity, that brings up all these theories and concepts. But if I, my, my heart would now say, well, it needs a language to feed it. You see, so what what are we sourcing or are we do we need to continue to resource um, this language? Um, and uh, that's why I wanted to talk to you all again, because you're, you're talking about not such a new language, but but something that's sleeping within all of us. It's sleeping there. Um, it's this familiar rather than this feeling of estrangement, which really means that we are not familiar with ourselves. When I got think about it deeper. So when, when I talked to a friend this morning, it was about um, that sad. People are feeling sad from what's going on right now. But... In the other way, we're allowing sadness to control us. In other words, what is sadness doing to us? You see, because we're we're accepting, oh, I'm sad. We're kind of in a self-pity mode and it's nice sometimes, but it only goes so far. But then you get to a part where you're tired of being sad. So then you think about what is sadness doing to me? What has sadness done to me and what is left after I'm sad? So, you know, we could go into all kinds of psychologies with this, but the main thing is reconsidering our consciousness. Let's go with that.
0: It's really interesting that you bring up 1984 and Orwell. I, I, I read a lot of Orwell as, as I was growing up and in many ways, I think part of who I am, one of, one of the voices in my head is Orwell's. There are many other voices, uh, especially um, of, you know, brilliant women from my, my part of the world. But Orwell's was an interesting white male voice that has been in my head, both with 1984 and Animal Farm and um, many other forms of his writing. But those two, especially at this moment, as you were saying to, to your cousin, sort of remind us of what totalitarianism of different kinds can do to us. That it isn't just about the material realities of our lives. It is about the way our experience and our everyday is shaped. Um, It is about shutting down imagination. Because the most, I think the most important thing that all of us have That they can never take away from us is our imaginations right and it's to Adeli's point our liberations our imaginations are at the core of our liberations because we imagine that we can be different we imagine that we can do different we imagine that we can create different that Our worlds can be different, our internets can be different, our forms of connection can be different. And and so in some ways, one of the really interesting things about this collective experience of the coronavirus is that it's collective, but it's not the same. We're not experiencing it the same experienced very differently based on where you are in the world what you know class you are are you a woman or a man or non-binary are you a child or an adult an older person or younger are you black or brown are you on a reservation versus an enclave right um and yet in some ways what it has allowed us because it is still collectively experienced is what, you know, a writer from India, Arundhati Roy calls a portal. It's allowed us a portal um, through which we can at least have a starting point of shared imagination, right? That at the very least we can say, Different people have experienced what it means to be scared and fearful, as you said, or sad. But then what? What's next? Is that all that we're going to be? And so there's something I think that I really strongly associate between consciousness, imagination, connectedness and sentience that there's something about sentience that is about the relational that is about that. I can own it's the, it's again, you know, I, it's the spirit of Ubuntu, this South African philosophy, you know, I am because you are, I cannot be conscious of myself if we are not in conversation with each other. And being in conversation with you allows me to imagine differently. And I think speaking with you, I I I feel like I've never actually before made that connection between consciousness and imagination quite so strongly, but I think I'm making it now and I'm and I'm recognizing that in at whose knowledge, as 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 Adeli was saying. The reason we are, we use the word imagination a lot. We are constantly using this word. And and there's something more powerful about it than I think even I realized. And so I'm just sitting with that sort of connection um, and wondering where Adeli will take it.
4: Yeah, like we use we use the word a lot, and we use the reimagination, right? Because it's really um, about taking. I don't know if we're thinking about the internet only. Uh, someone had to imagine it and and create that, and um, and how we as right like the the people that we are, um, women. Um, Indigenous folks, black and brown women, um, uh, non-binary, LGBTQI, then all the marginalized communities, global south folks, uh, reimagine what has been created. Um, And one of the things that I'm sitting with is that I think for us, it's not a bad thing to To be um, to be sad uh, for at least for a while because the the white settler capitalist uh, patriarchy really wants us to be um, perfect and productive all the time. And um, I really think that, right, like it's time for us, if we're talking about rhythm, um, that as human beings, we're not, right, like perfect, We, we have our feelings, our emotions, and we have to allow ourselves to feel them without feeling guilty right without really um having the, the pressures of this society like just just tell us that we can't that we have to be in this ongoing productive mode all the time because right like we are we are producing um so i i feel that in this the brutal gift of um of corona the coronavirus pandemic it's also to to tell us that, yes, we, right, like we need to be sitting with our feelings and emotions and we need to acknowledge that um, and acknowledge them to be able them to say, then now what, right? What do we, what is it that I need to get over the the sadness or the feeling if it's immobilizing me, right? Like if it's not serving me, uh, do I need, right? Like to be more in contact with my communities to be then uh, surrounding myself even online. Uh, with the people that I care about? Do I need to look for resources for my mental health? Um, What is it that I need uh, to do? But I think just um the... the first moment of acknowledging, yeah, this is a hard situation and it's fine to not feel a hundred percent, right. Or to not feel happy all the time. Um, and, and I agree with you to cousin then, right. Like there should be, there should be then a phase um, after that, that we then come to maybe problem solving or, uh, or taking care of that. But I just wanted to, to say that I I think that the, the first step is important. We need to feel our emotions if we want to be in rhythm, because it's part of who we are as human beings, right? Um, so that's one one thing. And um, and I think now that Anasuya was bringing right, like the the consciousness and um, and the imagination together uh, with the technology. Um, I really think that as whose knowledge we are right there, right? Like we're really. Um, Trying to, I think, create that awareness, right? And and, and I think we're in the business—not in the business. So I think we are in the, we are trying to um, create the awareness around collective consciousness that is built and created by technology. Because if we think about the world today, a lot of what we consider to be the social norms and what is what is it that we are sharing as society and human beings is being created by this. this medium right like it's being created online um and what is it that we are accepting and what is it that we are no longer accepting um and i think that's that's right like for whose knowledge if we're looking at knowledge and what is knowledge and whose knowledge um then is the question of that what is the collective consciousness that we have around knowledge and is that time to to reject that? To reimagine a new a new collective conscious around what knowledge is, uh, and who should be then centered um, centered as as we create knowledge, right? As we reimagine knowledge, as we reimagine our experiences online and in our daily lives. Um, so yeah, that's how I'm how I'm thinking it and reflecting um, this. Reimagination, imagination and consciousness and the technology that is shaping our lives today.
3: Just one more thing, just to really think about the people of doing and the people of being. You see, just, in America, we're taught about, in the Western world anyway, doing things. Get it done, get it done, get it done. But we're used to just doing things all the time that we don't no longer how, know how to be. In other words, just being who you are. And I, I find a difference because on a reservation, you'd say, well, they're not doing anything. They're just being native or, you know, but that's accomplishing a lot more than all the things that, you know, look for merit. And this is how much you've accomplished and progressed in life, you see. So what, what what are your thoughts about this? And then maybe we could close up with some, some other thoughts, too, but. I think that this, this uh, what has caused uh, COVID, has caused is all these new psychological categories. <laughs> you know, um, how to accept it, how do we do it? But that, even that, is coming in packages. You see, so that's part of the doing. But yet, we're not, we're not so comfortable with with who we are as being.
0: It's really interesting that you say that. At your cousin because one of the things that um, came up in a sort of meditative reflective session that Adeli and I were in um, was this very deep sudden insight of we are not doing the work we are being the work yeah. we are and in some ways, that is because of our obvious identities, you know, Afro Brazilian, indigenous, Indian, Savarna, brown, uh, living across continents and, and spaces, you know, sort of everywhere and nowhere at the same time. We are you <laughs> both Adeli and I, and everyone on our team, are sort of liminal beings in many ways, uh, very complex and liminal beings. So, um, in some ways, It could almost be banal to say that we are being the work and yet because of the way you are pushing us to think about it i don't think it's banal as much as it is our frontier of radical practice Mm. right the the moments that i think we are being the work rather than doing the work is the moments that we are truest to ourselves and to each other and to the work itself. It's not about, you know, one of the things I I, I want to be careful about because uh, there are a whole lot of people who consider, you know, for instance, the notion of singularity that technology itself has its consciousness. And I would be very careful um, to not go down that road because I think the sentience of human and earth life is different from what we construct as humans hmm. and yes. what we create as humans; those are not the same uh, at all. The river is not the same as the submarine submarine cable. Yes. Um, and and I and it's something that I really need to say because I know there are many people in our world who think differently. But I do think um, for us, that's probably are moments of truth when we know that we are being the practice rather than doing the practice. Yes. Wow.
4: I have I have something, um, uh, I have just one thing to say that I think it's really us being being us in, in this world that really historically and currently um, oppresses us and, um, and decimates us. Um, uh, in many shapes and, and ways and forms, um, through governmental violence and and violence and so many other forms of oppression. Um, it is an act of revolution, right? Like just being, just being in this world as ourselves. So I really like to remind myself of that and to say that to my kids, to say that to the people in my life, because yes, oftentimes it's, it's not, um, yeah, we have the moments of feeling, of feeling the weight of it of feeling the weight of being in a world that, um um, tells us that we we do not matter that we shouldn't be here, right? So just having that and looking at ourselves and like, no, I, I love myself and I'm comfortable with being being me in this world is already an act of revolution and liberation. So I just mm. wanted to say that.
3: No, this is so good. Jesus, um, it, it, it all time just kind of flies, right? And so if if you two want to talk about this again, keep a continuing conversation. I think a lot of people get a lot out of this and, and I've heard that they do. It's like, why don't you talk with them more? So it's, it's, you're backed by popular demand, so to speak. So, so let's, uh, let's, let's keep this up going. And, and I know that we always end in a good way, but I just want to say thank you. um, And uh, any closing statement that you have, it's really good because I'm looking forward to, yeah, doing and being, and you know, we could we could go into other, but whose knowledge? Wow, that that's whose knowledge. That to me, that doesn't imply ownership. It implies maybe we're not identifying with the so-called correct knowledge, that it's always available, rather than being looking for the knowledge with a restricted type of thinking, such as linear thinking, you know, so patriarchal thinking. So yeah, so. This is good. Thank you for coming coming here today and so good. Any any closing statements?
0: Just that we we'd be honored as always to be back. Yes, yes <laughs> absolutely. I think I think every conversation with you, Tia Kasson, is a way of us opening um to new possibilities of being. Yeah. So.
4: And, your ma- and so. the imagination. Yes. And the <laughs> imagination. So thank yeah. you so much yeah. for having us.
3: No, it's just good to have you here, but thank you. And I'll have to say bye because we have 30 seconds. So thank you very much for being here again. It's an honor to have you here. Okay. See you. See you. Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you.
3: And that was Adele Varana and Anasuya Zenkupta, who are co-directors and co-founders of Whose Knowledge, which is a collective, uh, basically, consciousness, I would say, of people of color, people of culture, putting together And coming up with different language to use rather than the domination, the patriarchy, the language that I'm speaking now. So it's not just uh, coming up with something new. It's reimagining, reconsidering and and understanding that we will not be recolonizing ourselves. And that means a lot to people of color, people of culture. And those of you maybe in this listening area may not understand so much, but you do have to understand that we have that experience of what has been dominating us so that we couldn't be who we are and now that's changing um, for some reason you can say political religious spiritual scientific anything but it is changing because all this is based on intuition that we are using and it's it's a little difficult to use a language that does not express itself so well and so i wanted to thank those two for coming on first forces radio Well, this next, uh, the finishing out here would be the friend, Gabriel Meyer-Halivi, who uh, was born and raised in Argentina. And he's released four albums, and he publishes books of poetry and theater, co-created theater collectives, and co-founded and co-directed a piece project named Sula, S-U-L-H-A, Suha with Palestinians and Israelis and Hebrew holiday gatherings. And uh, he does so many things, including, you know, having time with the Zen Roshi Bernie Glassman. Um, he's represented represented lots of people in his works as he travels. And by the way, last four months now, he is a, a nomad, he calls himself. And, but he is a, an activist in his spirituality and, Renewer of Wisdom in Hebrew and in Ritual is, is featured more than in, in 10 books, right? So he is a good friend, and he's currently now working as a core member of Defend the Sacred Global Alliance, which is coming out of Standing Rock 2016-17. Uh, and Gabriel is writing his first prose book, and that should be released in another, um, I don't know, within reasonable reasonable time, I'd say, so this is a song that I heard him play, and I wanted to offer it to you all. It's, uh, again, Gabriel Meyer Halivi, Liminal Grace, and it moved me because I wanted to ask for the words, and I wanted to say the words first, so when, when you do hear them, it's a melody written by Ara Jian, I think that's the name, and arrangement of musical productions by Gabriel Meyer Halivi and Idan Harmoni. And uh, so the words go, the lyrics go, when our voice chants only to be heard, when our song sings praise for its success, then we know it isn't pure. It's not coming from the south from the source of truth, our melody is not in harmony. And when the old story is dying in our hands and when rebirth is nurturing our dance, as we step into the cracks, trust uncertain reality, join creation's original band. Yearning to go deeper within a feel a part of everything, no expectation to be loved. Yet loving as a river through the rocks, with transparency, dresses our soul. When our heart pours gently through our throat, and when our tune is vulnerable, defenses are breaking down within, then we know we're ready to sing. And so this is that song that I enjoyed listening to a few days ago, and it is Gabriel Halivi with with uh, liminal, liminal, I'd <laughs> say this liminal grace. Take a
0: listen. <laughs>
5: When our song seeks praise for its success Then we know it is impure It's not coming from the source of truth Our melody is not in harmony When the old story is dying in our hands When rebirth is nurturing our dance We step into the crack Trust uncertain reality Join creation's original band Yearning to go deeper within Feel a part of everything No expectation to be loved it loving as a river through the rocks. When our tune is vulnerable, the fences are breaking down within, then we know we're ready to sing. When our tune is vulnerable, the fences are breaking down within, then we know we're ready to sing. Yada da 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 la da 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 ra da da Transparency dresses our soul When our heart pours gently through our throat When our tune is vulnerable The fences are breaking down within Then we know we're ready to sing When our tune is vulnerable The fences are breaking down within Then we know we're ready to sing.
3: And that's Liminal Grace by Gabrielle Meyer Halivi. And you can find Gabrielle Meyer Halivi on Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And it's a single. And I'll leave you with that. And uh, it moves. So please listen up and it has deeper meaning. We're not looking for the classical, you know, top 40. This is a thinking song, a feeling song, a knowing song, a being song, a conscious song. So with that, I'd like to say thank you. This is our first program into this 2021. My name is Tiokaseng Ghost Taurus, host of First Voices Radio, into its 29th year on the radios. And so, as a young man, and I don't feel still so old. So I'm going to be here. Thank you for listening. And uh, let's... Uh, Turn that love and praise towards the earth. Give thanks. Without her, there can be no heaven, as my uncle would say. There can be no peace without earth.